You are listening to Pili Aloha Now, Building Sustainability, Youth Indicator Series with co-host Chris Jazz Colthurst. This series is brought to you by Thrively. Every child deserves to thrive. Building sustainability is about bridging the gaps in definitions, understanding, and trust when implementing sustainability, while innovating with empathy in order to have a sustainable future for our current and future generations. The youth are key indicators of how we are doing as a society. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the fifth episode. This is Pili Aloha Estal. Our co-host, Chris Jazz Coldhurst, is not available this week. Last episode, Chris and I talked with Dr. Moises Baron, President and CEO of San Diego Center for Children, who shared with us data about the importance of focusing on children's mental health, breaking the cycle, and how youth suicide numbers are continually going in the wrong direction. Our guest today is also very passionate and active in her communities and culture, working to break the generational cycle of suicide and mental health awareness, which is the reason I know I felt so strongly to bring this guest on this next episode. I am so honored to welcome Shireen Primo of the Nui Numa Nation, Vice President, Indigenous Social Work Alliance, and Chairperson, Native American Council, NASW California Chapter. She will be educating us about the boarding school era, indigenous treatment, and the Generation Red Road Youth Training for Cultural Healing. Welcome, Shireen. Again, it is such an honor. Can you introduce yourself and the indigenous nation you represent? Yes, thank you. Hagani Mum, Ne Nani Hunt Shireen Primo, Ne Dokabadi Knight, Ne Dosawi Susoni. Hello, everyone. My name is Shireen Primo, and I am from Duck Valley, Nevada. I am from the White Knife Band of Western Shoshone people. I also represent the Nuanuma Shoshone Paiute Nation. Our homelands are part of the Great Basin Territory. I am also grateful to be residing in the homelands of the Kumeyaay Nation of San Diego. Thank you for inviting me to your podcast, and I'm grateful to be here with you all today. Thank you, Shireen, so much. I will let our audience know that there are sensitive topics and language in this podcast episode, so parental supervision is advised for listeners under the age of 18. And to add on to that, I would just like to say, as a Noah Nama Waiapa Shoshone Paiute woman, I speak from a place of love and healing, and I do not want to blame anyone for the past. However, our past must be acknowledged for healing. Thank you, Shireen. We've known each other for the past year working in school social work, SDSU. So we have a lot of topics and in, in what we're talking about today together, we've discussed a lot. But I think to start off, what would really help us if, is if you could share with us your educational background and your professional mission for positive change. Sure. So before I get into my educational background, I just want to give you a little brief introduction onto why I chose to strive for higher education. So I do this for all indigenous nations and especially for the Dokabadi Noah Nama nation. I strive for higher education because I come from a community that is profoundly affected by historical trauma in which it transforms into intergenerational trauma as well as multi-generational trauma. We are a beautiful people and we make up over 600 plus federally recognized nations 
as well as non-federally recognized nations in the United States and Canada. Growing up in my homeland, I witnessed a lot of heartbreaking memories. I grew up in alcoholic families. I saw numerous deaths, ranging from car accidents, alcoholism, and suicide, as well as the community and family violence. My beautiful people have survived genocide, loss of land, a culture that was almost wiped out, assimilation, and the theft of our children through the boarding school era. I received my Associate of Arts degree in social work from Cuyamaca Community College in spring 2016. After, I received my Bachelor of Arts in Liberal Arts and Sciences in Social Work and American Indian Studies in spring 2019. And after a one-week break, I went into the SDSU MSW one-year advanced standing program. I was also a part of the Title IV Child Welfare Program. I am the 10th SDSU native MSW Title IV graduate since 1993 from SDSU. Wow. Currently, I'm applying for my ASW licensure, which is Associates of Social Work license. And after, it will uh, transform into my licensed clinical social worker license um, through the Board of Behavioral Sciences. I'm also applying for my alcohol and drug licensure through the California Consortium of Addictions Programs and Professionals as a licensed advanced alcohol and drug counselor. I am the Native American chairperson for the National Association of Social Workers for the California Chapter. I am honored and humbled to know that the NASW California Chapter are representing Native Americans. What a remarkable representation for Native Americans, Alaska Natives, and First Nations peoples in Indian Country. Also, I was the former Vice President of the Indigenous Social Work Alliance in SDSU, and so currently we can say that I am also an alumni mentor for ISLA at the moment. Every time I talk to you, I learn more. I just, I, <laughs> I'm just so honored to have you on this podcast. So thank you. Thank you for sharing your background. And, and I think what we could start off with as far as educating our listeners is something that I wasn't always fully aware of. Provide us a little brief history of the boarding school era. I, and, and as I said, we gave a little bit of disclosure in the beginning. There are some, you know, a little bit of hard terms and things to understand, but I think it's necessary for us to talk about. And then we'll go into some of more of the programs that you're starting to train on. So can you just tell us a little history, a brief history of the boarding school era so our listeners know? Sure. And so really quickly on a personal level, um, I know that the tribal nations up north and some down south, you know, they, they did go through the boarding school era. However, I know that in California, it was in Southern California, it was the uh, California mission system um, through Father Juniper Sarah. And I believe the first mission was set into place in 1769. So I'm going to cover the boarding school era pretty much up north. Um, okay. Like I stated, on my maternal side of the family and paternal, um, I have a great-grandfather, Tom Primo, that attended the infamous Carlisle Boarding School in Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. and then numerous other family members that had went to Sherm a Sherman Indian Boarding School in Riverside, California, and then Stewart Boarding School in Carson City, Nevada. Okay. So a little bit of history. Let's see here. And I am citing from an article called Giving Voice to Historical Trauma Through Storytelling, the Impact of Boarding School Experience on American Indians. Okay. So 
The boarding school era was produced to assimilate Native families and for the erasure of all cultural beliefs and identification as Indigenous peoples. In the year 1892, the Commissioner of Indian Affairs, Thomas Jefferson Morgan, approved the forced prosecution of mandatory boarding school attendance of Native children because it was said that we Indigenous peoples were barbarians and savages and that the Native parents were in contempt. Clark Historical Library, 2008. It was during this time the government wanted to gain support for funding for mission schools. The phrase, kill the Indian, save the man, was invented by Captain Richard Pratt, in which the first boarding school was formed after Fort Marion Prison in Augustine, Florida, Adams, 1997. And the boarding school that Richard Pratt um, started was the Carlisle Industrial Boarding Indian School in Pennsylvania. Okay. So basically, forced assimilation during the boarding school era was horrific. It was stated, you cannot become truly American citizens, industrious, intelligent, cultured, civilized, until the Indian within you is dead. Adams, 1997. The children are forced into eight years of training and trained only to work as domestic help. As the federal government assumed, indigenous children were less intelligent than that of white children. Rainer, 2004. Within the years of the late 1800s and mid-1900s, the U.S. government administered that all Native American children within the ages of 5 and 18 enter, enter boarding school. Brief History 2010. Sadly, the disconnection from the children and their original families and communities sur- severed their nurturing and protection, and the school authorities were permitted to use and abuse the children any way they wished, in which the punishments were harsh, exploitive, vindictive, and perverse in treatment and were utilized with the hope of stripping the children of their heritage, culture, and traditions, ultimately. Rainer, 2004. I don't know a lot about boarding schools in general. Were they even allowed to go back after summer? I believe that they did get to go home for maybe two to three weeks. They were able to come home, but they had to go right back. And so in the very early years, I believe, of like the 1800s, 1900s, like the really early times, the boarding school era, the families would take their whole camps and camp behind the boarding schools. You know, it was said that the the dominant culture can raise our children better than us. And, you know, it was heartbreaking because these families love their children. They love their children and they took their whole camp. So they lived behind the boarding schools and they couldn't see them, but they lived behind them. Oh, no, you could see them. You can see their campies, uh, excuse me, teepees and camps set up behind the boarding schools. We can talk about that on a later podcast. Now I'm going to do more research. So uh, on a little personal note, uh, it was during this time that our children suffered immensely. And this is gonna, this is going to get a little heavy. Okay. Thank you for warning me. <laughs> they were physically, sexually, mentally, and emotionally abused behind closed doors. As it was told, you can punish these children any way you want, uh, as long as you strip them of any Native culture. Um, their sacred language was beaten out of them. And at its worst, these children never made it home and some were murdered if they tried to escape or did not comply with the rules. Family members were never told why their children never came home. Some children also died while trying to escape. Some of these boarding schools today uh, have mass graves in the back where many children were just thrown in and are still there today. And I remember in 2009, 
I attended a ceremony in Phoenix, Arizona at a boarding school, and it was just heartbreaking. We had the elders come in, and they talked about their experiences, and then we did a ceremony. I believe the Red Road to Albrighty was there, and they brought the hoop of 100 feathers, and everybody did a ceremony, and we prayed, and we listened to the elders' stories. And so some of these boarding schools have had to have ceremonies done to heal the spirits of these small children, families, and communities in Indian country. So the the boarding schools still exist, or they're so the the ones from long ago. Yes, they still exist. I don't believe they are open. Okay, so not in practice. Okay, no, they're more like a museum setting. It's it's like for history, so that we'll remember our history and what happened to us. But today, for the youth, and I could say that it has changed. You know, we have a lot of youth going to boarding school today, like say like Sherman Indian Boarding School and Chamawa Indian Boarding School in Salem, Oregon. Sherman's in Riverside, California. And, and so I think currently these boarding schools are positive. We do see our children um, receiving education and doing the best that they can. However, we just, we need to acknowledge the history of it. It, it didn't start out good in the beginning. It was actually really okay. just not good. I spoke with my grandmother and, you know, a lot of people had different experiences. Um, some had terrible, just horrific experiences, but some also had positive experiences. So it goes both ways. And maybe it depended on the boarding school. I don't know. I mean, that's something where I think we could have a whole nother podcast on. I know today we're going to cover a couple different areas, but I felt the history is important. But like you said, that's part of the awareness pieces, learning all the pieces of the puzzle of the boarding school era. Yeah. And I could say that one huge effect on my family was that I know that when one of my grandfathers came home, he just said, you know, if you want to make it in this world, you need to get an education. And so, you know, they they spoke the Noah language in the home, but it was never really passed down. And And I'm not speaking for all families. I'm just speaking for parts of my family. The language stopped at one point. And so I would say it was because of the assimilation in the boarding school era. And some of them came home and never, ever talked about what happened it was just too painful well that's kind of like veterans in the war i one of my best friends third generation navy captain and she actually served in afghanistan but you just didn't talk about it so i think that's part of the reason we're for me for doing the podcast is mental health awareness uh ptsd yeah uh cultural healing youth healing awareness and you know our society healing that's part of the reason we're having these podcasts and conversations today. So I I do want to maybe talk to you a little bit about some of your training that's coming up. But let's definitely have another podcast where we can dive in a little bit more into the boarding school era. I definitely want to do some research on my own too. So I'm aware and then we can educate our audience more. I have a feeling I'm going to have my own podcast series just on you. (laughs) How I mean, how we met obviously through SDSU School of Social Work as we were working on newsletters and I was introduced to you from Paul Brazell and Dr. Min. They wanted to have their own newsletter on you. So obviously there's a lot to talk about. Thank you for disclosing that because I I have sometimes a hard time listening to certain things because my heart just breaks. But I do feel it's very important to address it. I, I think we have to be able to bear through some of that painful memory. But can you maybe share with us a little bit about upcoming training that you're going to be doing? And you had mentioned the Generation Red Road for Cultural Healing and Youth. And it's a training you're doing in July. Yes. So I, I have been completely honored to do a few trainings. I've I finished the positive Indian parenting training on the Viejas Indian Reservation. So 
I am a trainer in positive Indian parenting. Um, hopefully wow. one day we can get that going. Aww. And then I did the Red Road to Sobriety training in November 2018. So I am a facilitator. I can facilitate the curriculum and the, the classes as well as the talking circle and the cultural portion. Aww. But this, I'm going to read the mission statement of the Generation Red Road. And it states, the, mi the mission of Generation Red Road, Inc. is to revitalize and promote generational healing by utilizing indigenous teachings that provide reinventing and harmony for individuals, families, and communities. So I'm going to learn more, obviously, in the training, but I think this is beautiful. I believe that this uh, Generation Red Road, you know, in, in other curriculum like Red Road to Wellbrighty, I know it's really focused and based around the history of alcoholism and and why it's embedded in Native American culture. But I believe that this curriculum is completely culturally based, which has been my dream in life. And they do utilize evidence-based practices that are culturally based. So I believe this program is completely culturally based, which I am in awe and I cannot wait to take this training. Um, this training is going to be on the Generation Red Road Youth Training and so I believe I'm excited because what I like to advocate for, and, and we don't force this on anyone only if they're open to it, but I believe like in my young life, what changed my life was going back to culture, going back to tradition, going back to ceremonies. Um, I'm currently trying, I'm a really beginner in learning my language, but you know, it's better to start wow. somewhere than not. Mm -hmm. And so with this training, uh, the Next Generation Red Road Approach Curriculum for, for Youth is a grassroots-based program for community members, social workers, mental health clinicians, addiction counselors, case managers, spiritual practitioners, tribal law enforcement, school faculty, and anyone interested in learning the Red Road Approach to Healing. And I'm just very excited because I advocate for our youth. You know, they're our future generations. And so if bringing in a culturally based program is going to work better for our youth, then I am all for it. And, you know, we don't force anything on anyone. Some people may want to utilize behavioral health. Some people may want to utilize cultural, but I know for my life in, in my young life, I know that going back to my cultural traditions is what saved my life. I cannot wait. I'm going to have you on the podcast after your July training. We're going to have you on another episode. So I'm really excited. It'll, it looks like it'll be in the Art of Respect series, which I think will transition perfect. And I, I think that's something we talked about a little bit earlier um, or a few times before. And we were talking about the mental health awareness and the mental health awareness within youth and kind of that taboo of people don't talk about mental health. Yeah. And now people are starting to realize they need to talk about it because mental health is everything, you know, anywhere from PTSD to uh, trauma, uh, past trauma, trauma that we just don't address. It's, I mean, there's so much to mental health and you combine that with culture. And I think you're right. It's a, it's a, combination of awareness and education and taking all of those components to really address those that that next stage in healing because if you don't take the culture plus the awareness and then also the taboos then you can't you can't people aren't going to pay attention um so i think it what we talked about a little bit was 
and you already brought it up is the youth. Um, and, and obviously this, this podcast series is youth indicators. And, and my belief, and, and it's a concept I've been developing is I believe the youth are key indicators of how we're doing as a society. So if our youth aren't doing well, we aren't doing well. And, and that is a direct reflection of us and our responsibility to make sure our youth are healthy, healthy in every aspect of their lives. And also, we talked about breaking the cycle. So once you're an adult, yes, I'm not saying you can't repair yourself as an adult. But in order to break the cycle, we need to focus on the youth as we mend through the through the stages. And so I had read a quote you had on Facebook, uh, and we've been friends. So I started to get to know your your work and everything. And I and I follow you. But you had mentioned uh, on Facebook, you put Obtaining higher education saved your life, breaking intergenerational cycles, which stems from historical trauma so our future generations can thrive. Our children are our future and will be the leaders in Indian country. Can you share with us, honestly, how you feel the youth are, are going to help us break that cycle and what that means to you? Yes, I can. So like I mentioned previously, sadly, our Native American youth have the highest rates of suicide in the nation above all other nationalities. Wow. From the ages of 10, 10 to 24, it is known that historical and intergenerational trauma play a huge factor in the statistic. As Dr. Baron had mentioned, the suicide numbers for youth in general everywhere are going in the wrong direction. I mean, so obviously we're all, no matter who, when, where, or how, we all collaboratively need to pay attention to those numbers. That is period. If we don't, then we are failing <laughs> completely. Exactly. And you know, a lot of our nations, some are not familiar with the terms of historical and intergenerational trauma. And I know I was introduced to these terms in 2010. I was about 26 or 27. Okay. Um, I was introduced to the Red Road of Wellbrighty through the United American Indian Involvement Program in Los Angeles. And when I heard these terms, it's like the wool was pulled over my eyes, pulled away from my eyes. And I was like, wow, this makes total sense. Yes. I read that curriculum and it talked about how we were intro introduced to alcohol and, and why, you know, to, to, you know, it was never our way. Alcoholism was never our way. And so when it was introduced to us, it was used to take advantage of us because, you know, the, the other culture knew we could not handle it. When I went to SDSU, I did a big research paper on this and it was, people were saying, well, it's hereditary. It's in your bloodline that you, you all are alcoholics. And I said, no, that's not true. I feel like I hear that everywhere and people, it's, it seems silly, but obviously it's because we're not dealing with mental health awareness and how to, and how that escapism exists in our lives period across the board. So there's no proof as we speak that it is hereditary or in embedded in us what there is proof on is that historical trauma plays a huge huge aspect into why we have a lot of alcoholism in our communities and so basically what we must do is we need to focus on our youth as they are our future generations our generation currently will be the one to break the cycle of intergenerational trauma in our communities we can do this by standing up and using our voice and educating our children on the atrocities that were forced on our peoples. We are no longer victims. However, we must educate our children on the history as it must be acknowledged for healing. We carry all the strength and resilience of our ancestors in our beings. 
We have the power to heal our lives. My vision is that we teach our children about our culture, traditional beliefs, language, and ceremonies. By doing this, we are passing on our heritage, which protected us since time immemorial. Instead of passing on alcoholism, drug addiction, community violence, suicide, shame, anger, hurt, and pain, we can pass on our rich culture to the next generations for healing. So our youth wow. today, we really need to protect them. We really need to give them more opportunities because they, they are future generations. They are our future leaders. And so they must be protected first. This podcast series really talks about breaking the cycles. And it's very, very important because no matter where you're from around the world, we I talked with the Giving Lens and, and how they would come in and give the tools and resources to the children to know that there's other options out there for them versus a, a life that may not be a positive one and really just enriching and opening up their lens and ability to know the difference and opening their minds to that that experience. So what you're doing and the effort you're doing with the youth, with your culture, then can be a role model for everyone. I mean, we can only do it community-based efforts for that, but then within those community-based efforts, then we can share our efforts within our communities and our cultures and our, you know, smaller, what I call pods, and then learn from each other. Dr. Barone and I last episode talked about that. It's that ability to work together uh, in a collaborative care environment and programs, but then also do those warm handoffs. I think you and I talked about it once where you were, I think you mentioned that a lot of the men in your, in your culture, and I think everybody is just, it's a stigma and what that stigma looks like. And I feel like mental health is a stigma. I, I feel like we're just waking up to our ability for our brains to not be able to handle trauma. And and when we do, what does that processing looks like? And trauma could be from abandonment. I mean, it, it's, it's across the board everywhere. So how do we then take that and learn from it and to, together within our communities and our own smaller pods, learn from each other and create models that can bring that full service awareness as a mental health awareness. As I said, I, I think we could have a whole podcast on each of our questions today. <laughs> so I think that's, you know, and, and I always think of my listeners, okay, what what are they learning? What do they want to learn more about? And then we always give them the tools to to learn more and then give them the resources. So I want to know right now, because I'm going to, as I said, you, you're probably going to have your own podcast or I'm going to have you on lots more. Where can we best support your efforts and help to advocate the work that's being done to not only, you know, I'm not from an indigenous culture, but I have my own indigenous traits within, you know, my my heritage, but but mine are overseas. So I try to educate myself as I can. But what can I do to support your efforts and others listening to then become aware and how to educate and be a part of that, that change or that learning. And so we can be supportive of each other. Sure, that's beautiful. And real quick, before I get into the uh, that support, just like what you had said about the um, indigenous men and the stigma of mm -hmm. mental illness, 
that's that's just like a huge barrier for us. And I'm not just talking about adult men. I'm talking about young men. Okay. Like I told you, it is it is a huge taboo to say, hey, I'm hurting or hey, I'm depressed or hey, I think there's something wrong with me. And it's, and it's, you know, the men were always taught, you know, toughen up. I think we need to support them more. If we see them hurting or we, we notice a shift in their behavior or their mental, we need to sit down and say, hey, are you okay? What's wrong? And if they need it, we need to take them up to our behavior health program. I know our behavior health program here on our reservation, they do the best that they can do. They really do. However, maybe counseling and behavior health is not going to work for everyone. And so this is where I believe we need to bring in the Native American ceremony, the Native American culture. Okay. And I'm not going to force either of these programs on anyone. I'm, I would like to give people a, a choice. Do you want to go to counseling the westernized way or would you like to utilize your cultural way? And give them that option. Let yeah. these people know that there are options out there for healing. Don't just sit there and watch them over and over self-medicate and they're in so much pain and then something bad happens, you know, and, and that's what we deal with every, every day in Indian country is we need to give more options for our people because our people are in pain. Our people are hurting and at its worst, our people are dying. Mm-hmm. And, and Dr. Barone mentioned it too. It's the warm handoffs because as we're, as the practitioners and, and individuals in social work like yourself and as they're learning how to then understand either the indicators of of mental health and and how to then address it in each facet of different stages of people's lives because you don't know when somebody might be able to be comfortable in sharing that like you said it is a stigma mental health is still I think across the board men and women are having a hard time with understanding the scope of mental health and what that really means and wanting to better our senses. We live in a communicative communication era where we have access to everything. Basically, we could Google it as we speak if we want to find the answer. Um, But do you think, well, I guess my question for you, if it is something where it is a stigma, and then again, I think it is across the board, how then do people within a, your community, because I did mention outside the community supporting you, but how do you then you educate those within your circle and in your community to help become more supportive? What would that look like for someone who just, A, might not think they have an issue, but they want to learn more, but then they start to realize, hey, I haven't really talked about this before. Now I'm learning. Where do you feel that there's the most uh, supportive access. I know you mentioned to me earlier that anybody can call you, reach out to you, you never mind. So obviously, but what does that look like for individuals wanting to educate themselves, educate themselves more, but also become a part of the process? Well, I think because I'm home right now, I'm visiting. Um, I will be returning back to San Diego soon to start my work, but I believe it's going to take a community effort. It's not just going to be one person. It's going to be our behavioral health. Um, It's going to be everybody that works in a social work setting here on the reservation. And then on top of that, I believe that we need our traditional healers coming in as well and letting people know, you know, there's healing out here, there's ceremony, there's Sundance, there's sweat lodge, there's Native American church. And then on top of that, um, if a person would want to, I believe that we do need to bring in the Generation Red Road curriculum, 
the Red Road to Well Variety curriculum. I know that here on the reservation, we do have some pretty awesome groups of people here that are starting and utilizing the Alcoholics, um, Alcoholics Anonymous. And I think maybe there might be NA, Narcotics Anonymous. But I'm very proud of them. They're, they're taking a stand and they're actually doing something for our community. So we do have people here that are utilizing AA. It's just, I feel like, and I'm speaking personally for my, for my life, you know, I've studied the Red Road to Well Variety curriculum and I'm really excited to start the Generation Red Road, but it's beautiful. And I'm talking about you're reading curriculum and you're learning about the historical trauma and the intergenerational trauma of our people. And then you're having talking circles and maybe at the end of that, you can have a sweat lodge ceremony. You know, it's just beautiful. I mean, they're doing restorative circles now in education. I mean, that is across the board and the, the the whole of the child. I mean, this is a concept that I think we're all trying to understand and learn. And that's why I was saying, I think because we're trying to address it, how I'm understanding as I go through our youth indicator series is really trying to address the whole of the child and the whole of the individual and then bringing in full circle all of the ways you can you can be able to try to reach that person because one person might be impacted by one way. We both agree education is key. Youth is key. But what about, you know, our 60-year-old parent who might be dealing with things, but then they're influencing others. So it's it's a continuum of of reach. And, and I think Dr. Barone mentioned it. It's a collaborative care. It's inserting these programs in every facet of our society. And the, the ability to not create a taboo in wanting to talk and learn and open up that healing. And, and as I mentioned, you what your efforts are are role models for all of us, for everyone, no matter no matter what that looks like, if it's if it's brought into military, if it's brought into the police force, if it's brought into everything, it's it's bringing in that ability to to heal from you know, past trauma or past information. So I, I'm so just excited to, again, I mean, you're going to be back on after July. So, <laughs> so I, you I, had mentioned like the Indigenous Social Work Alliance and Native American Council, and those are two great resources for people to learn more about and, and look at their websites, correct? Sure. Okay, so those locations, anywhere else that people can go to learn more until I have you on another episode? Yes, I would definitely love to leave the audience with the www.generationredroad.org. And this is Generation Red Road. And it's all about revitalizing and promoting generational healing through tradition. That's one. Uh, Number two, and this is based out of San Diego, the Academy at SDSU.edu programs Tribal Star. So the SDSU School of Social Work that focuses on building collaborations that improve outcomes for American Indian and Alaska Native children in child welfare. And then number three, we have the Red Road to Well Variety curriculum. And the vision is a sustainable grassroots Well Variety movement that provides culturally based healing for the next seven generations of indigenous peoples. And once again, that's on speaking on historical trauma as well as intergenerational trauma and how to heal from that. And then lastly, This is the program that I went through at SDSU. So this is for all the up-and-coming future social workers uh, who want to apply to SDSU. We have a Title IV e-child welfare stipend for um, Native American students as well as as non-Native American students. And you can apply for it through your undergrad as well as graduate programs. And it's through the Serve Indigenous Social Workers for Change. My social work mentor, Tamara Strohar, is 
the Southern Regional Coordinator. So definitely look into that. I want to do a web series on the two of you. When I first met her, I think what were I think we were at a faculty meeting, facility meeting, and talking to both of you was amazing. So hopefully, maybe we'll just do a whole web series on because I think your co- one of the conferences um, was canceled this. Well, a lot was canceled this year. But you guys, is there annual co- uh, kind of educational conferences that are going on for? Oh yeah, the student, the youth conferences. Uh huh. Is there any in particular that you know of, or we had to cancel a lot of conferences this year? Um, is there a major one? There was a major one in March, right? Or is there one big kind of conference? I mean, because I feel because I came from a, a background and and did a lot of the uh, conferences from American Public Health Association, those kind of organizations across the nation that that bring in awareness for particular groups is there like one main conference group in our convention we have the warrior spirit what is it called the warrior spirit conference page on facebook please look that up okay right now what's going on um in san diego is that we are seeing a lot of deaths from um from pills so it's a big issue right now and that's in colleges too i mean Oh, high schools, colleges, everybody. They're putting on a huge series for youth to to advocate as well as uplift them and letting them know that they don't need to go that route. You have support. You have a lot of support in the community that will support you if you're hurting. That's what they're saying is the youth numbers in suicide are, I mean, the ages that individuals are talking about suicide is now dropping in age it's continually dropping an age of them being aware of it talking about it at an age where I don't know if they should be talking about it but what does that look like so there's a whole assessment on that and then obviously the mental health part you add that into any kind of PTSD or any trauma where are we not paying attention to that so I I guess for me, I, I love to be able to let my audience know, here's, you know, the websites, here's the conferences, conventions, because I believe what you're working on, and I'm so excited for you to teach me more. So I'll always be following you so I can update individuals and upcoming guests of, of places to learn more about programs and services to help our youth, A, and then also to help us with overall healing and mental health healing. So is there any other areas such as um, books or podcasts that you like, or? I would like to invite everybody to the Two Feathers Native American Family Services, and they're out of, they're out of Humboldt County. Okay. They do a lot of podcasts and live streams on topics such as Walking the Red Road, wow. revitalizing Indigenous ceremonies across Indian country, Indian child welfare, youth education and decolonization, and many other numerous topics. And you can oh, find wow. them at www.facebook.com two feathers nafs as i mentioned i i feel like we could probably do about five five episodes just on our topics alone today i i (laughs) thank you so much for taking the time to really educate us and educate the listeners so we want to learn more and then what we'll do is i'll have you on after your your training in july i'm really excited to learn more about it and then um, just, you know, thank you so much for your time. I'm, I'm so grateful to have you on the podcast. It was an honor and I'm, I have a lot of respect for you for reaching out. And I consider you also an ally to our indigenous peoples. You know, you, 
you're out here, you're caring, you're asking questions. And, and that's really what it takes is awareness. And you, you, you took the first step. So thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Oh, thank you, Shireen. And I will we'll talk soon and best of luck in your training and coming back home in July. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll talk to you later. On our next episode, we are excited to welcome Professor Dr. Tilking. He will be talking to us about alcohol and drug prevention from an international perspective. Last year, he traveled around the world to compare prevention programs in San Diego, California, USA, Coves Harbor, New South Wales, Australia, and Arch, Ostfriesland, Germany. We'd also love to hear about your youth and sustainability stories, or to be a guest on this podcast, visit cityindesign.com. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Pililoha Now, hashtag building sustainability. Tag and share with us your community programs, successes, and concerns so we can help spread the word. For Pililoha Now, building sustainability youth indicator series, this is Pili Aloha. And this is Chris. Thank you for joining us. <laughs>